Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. Ready for the word? Stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. I want you to go with me to the gospel according to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, and I want to look at verses 1 through 6. Mark chapter 3, starting at verse number 1, and we'll land at verse number 6. You got a Bible? How many got a real Bible? Look at them super saved people. Is it highlighted? Oh, I love it. I love it. Mark chapter 3. I'm going to start at verse number 1. We're in a series that is more than a series. It is a word for our church. This is the year to? To what? To stretch out. What does that mean? God is expanding our reach. He's expanding your reach, calling you to stretch out. I made a promise that before this year is over, I'm going to be able to touch my, see how close we can. We're almost there. We're almost there. Do a few more Pilates. We're going to get there. But God's calling you to stretch. The strength is in your stretch. And it's not just a series. It is our word for the year. Stretch out. So that's what we've been talking about. And I want to add another layer to it today. Mark chapter 3. We'll start at verse number 1. And it says, another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand. Another version says withered hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked him, which is lawful on the Sabbath? He's talking to the Pharisees. To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Interesting to see what makes Jesus angry. Interesting to see that they were quiet when he asked them a question. I want to be a Jesus follower that is loud about what Jesus is loud about and quiet about what Jesus is quiet about. Ooh, it's dangerous when you get loud about stuff Jesus ain't say nothing about. Some of y'all think that you're his defender. I got you, Jesus. You are a horrible defense attorney. Let him defend you. (laughs) You don't need to defend him. Some things that he's quiet about, you be quiet about. One of my favorite lines as a pastor is, I don't know. (laughs) Well, I just need to know the deep theological. I don't know, bro. I'm going to be loud about what he's loud about, quiet about what he's quiet about, and I want to get angry about what he's angry about. What are you angry about, Jesus? A stubborn rigid heart. Then he looks at the man after he looked at the Pharisees like he knew what our word for the year was going to be and says, stretch out your hand. Then, next verse, hallelujah, he stretched it out. His hand was completely restored. The Pharisees went out and began, and this is crazy, to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. When did the execution of Jesus start? When they put out a cat of nine tails to whip him? No. When they were about to hang him on a cross? No. Way before that, it started right here in Mark chapter 3. When he healed this man's hand. They left from that healing to start scheming, saying, we got to kill this dude. This man's healing is what initiated killing of Jesus. I want to talk to you today for about three and a half hours (laughs) from this thought. When healing hurts, when healing hurts, remain standing. We're going to pray. I don't want to preach before I preach. But if you're looking at my title day confused, talking about what? When healing hurts? Healing don't hurt. If that's your first thought, I would suggest you probably need the most healing. Because anybody that has ever been healed, 
Especially if the healing was not instantaneous, but a process. They will let you know that healing hurts. Oh, it's going to be rough today. Bow your heads. <laughs> Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your healing. God, I pray that we would be so committed to the healing, so committed to the restoration, that we'll stick it out and stretch it out, even if it hurts. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. When healing hurts. Speaking of hurt, I'm not over the Cowboys, are you? <laughs> ah. <laughs> Church fam, today is day number 14 of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's day number 14. And I think it's powerful whenever churches, I'm seeing it all over the globe now, come together, especially at the beginning of the year, to say, God, you have our focus, you have our attention. We're going to combine prayer and fasting, believing you for a miracle, believing you for breakthrough. And not just miracles or breakthroughs, but believing that when I deny my flesh, my spirit gets stronger. I'm telling you, there's something powerful about prayer and fasting. Those two things put together is like an atomic bomb for your faith. It's when you're ready to do nuclear warfare when you combine prayer and fasting. However, if you're on this journey of prayer and fasting, I want to let you know that there's some passages of Scripture you probably should not read. Shouldn't read, especially if you want to be encouraged to continue in your prayer and fasting. I'll tell you where they are. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, skip that in your Bible reading plan. Uh, Luke chapter 4, just go right past Luke chapter 4. Even Mark chapter 1, don't read that either. Because it's in those verses, the Bible chronicles the fasting journey of Jesus. Jesus, and Jesus, your Lord, my Savior. He fasted not 21 days, not 10 days, Ooh, not a Daniel fast where you can eat in and out burger. Some of y'all trip me out. I'm on the Daniel fast. You eating in and out? Yeah, I didn't get chili on the fries. It's, it's, it's Daniel. <laughs> Jesus fasted woo, 40 days. 40 days, no food. 40 days, that's a long time. In fact, the Bible makes me laugh. Right after it says he fasted 40 days, it says, and afterward, he was hungry. I bet he was. <laughs> 40 days, no food. Now, what's intriguing to me, I'm going to be honest with you, that's how I know how to be, is that if I fasted 40 days, if I fast 40 days, after that 40 days, oh my goodness, I better see a breakthrough. After that 40 days, we better get a building. After that 40 days, I don't want to see nothing but blessings or a breakfast burrito. 40 days? But not Jesus. This intrigues me. He fasts 40 days, and after the fast, the Bible says the Spirit led him into the wilderness. I fasted 40 days and I'm being led not by the devil, by the spirit into the wilderness not to a waterfall, to the wilderness. The spirit led me there. Be careful when you start praying prayers and especially singing songs like spirit lead me where my trust is with that. Are you sure? You want to walk out the implications of that song because he's fasted 40 days and the spirit leads him to the wilderness. If the wilderness wasn't bad enough, now Satan shows up after the fast and says to Jesus, turn these stones into bread. And don't you love Jesus' response to the devil? As soon as he asked him to turn the stones into bread, come on, you've read this. He takes Satan by the throat, suffocates him, slams him on the ground, and starts stomping on him. How many of you thankful he did that? I'm watching y'all to say hallelujah. You let me know that you ain't never read the Bible in here. <laughs> I'm going to say, yeah, I'm glad he stomped me on our feet. Sorry, it's not, it's not what happened. Here's what he said. Stay with me. He says to him, man shall not live by bread alone. He 
says to the enemy, I'm going to fight you, but I'm going to fight you with the word. And I was being extreme in my illustration because I love that Jesus didn't get into a wrestling match with the enemy. He was fully God and fully man. He put on human skin, knowing that we would have our battle with temptation and the enemy. He said, I'm not going to do something that's so outlandish. I'm going to do something very practical that you can do too. I'm going to teach you how to live the life you're supposed to live on earth. That whenever the enemy comes against you with temptation, with attack, you fight him with the word of God. Come on, somebody. The word of God is your weapon. That's how you fight him. You fight him with the word. If it worked for Jesus, it'll work for you. He fought him with the word. The word was a weapon. Somebody say the word is a weapon. Oh, it's a weapon. But you got to be careful how you use it. Because after he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Quotes the word. Satan does not quit. He comes right back and says, oh, so you like the word. He says, follow me. And Satan takes him up to the highest point of the temple. Isn't that interesting? The spirit led him into the wilderness and now Satan has taken him up. And as he's up, he tells him, jump off. Just jump off, Jesus. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Satan quotes a verse out of Psalms 91. Satan quoted scripture to the word, to the, to the word. He was the word to Jesus. He quoted scripture. This ought to let you know that if Satan quoted scripture, that quoting scripture does not authenticate that you have relationship with Jesus Christ. How can you tell me that you really say just because you quoted a bunch of Bible verses. I got that for you right there in the Bible. Satan quoted scripture to Jesus and Jesus had to come back at him with another scripture and say, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So just because you quote scripture does not authenticate that you have relationship with Jesus. Just because you said the Bible says does not mean you are living a life that Jesus would have lived. Because Satan knew the scripture. So that means when it comes to the word of God, you got to be careful when somebody just says, the Bible says. You can make the Bible say anything you want. Oh, yes, you can. You can be rolling up right before service. You know, he said every tree was good. You can make the Bible. You can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. You do know that Paul told Timothy, get a little wine for your stomach. It'll make you feel better. That's in the Bible. The first miracle of Jesus was to turn water into wine. You can make the Bible say whatever you want. He said, wine, Sirach, it's all the same. You can make, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. You, you, oh, you could go to Ecclesiastes on somebody and says, how can one be warm except two lie together? You can't be warned by yourself. You can start quoting that and fornicating just in the name of the scripture of Ecclesiastes. You got to be careful. Some of the most evil atrocities in the world today were promulgated by somebody using a scripture. So just because you quote the word, just because you have it memorized, does not necessarily mean you have relationship with Jesus. What is important? Oh, I'll tell you what's important. Not just memorization of Scripture. Not just quotation of Scripture. Here's what's important. Your approach, your interpretation, and your application. When you come to the Word of God, you must always check your approach, your interpretation, and your application. Approach, interpretation, application. Approach, interpretation, application. I feel a mixtape coming on. Approach, interpretation, application. That'll help you in your relationships. Some of you have messed up relationships because you're trying to communicate to somebody and you got the wrong. Well, we need to talk. We need to talk right now. Uh, he don't want to talk to you. And if you have the wrong approach, you get the wrong interpretation. And the wrong application. So wrong approach equals wrong interpretation. 
and wrong application. And if you do this when you come to the Word of God, you will end up, hear me, stretching the Word of God to fit your life instead of stretching your life to come under the confines of God's Word. And we're seeing it in our culture today. People who will stretch the word to fit their own idiosyncrasies and fit their own peculiarities. And because they don't want to come under the jurisdiction of God's word, they would rather stretch the word. Because it's easier to stretch the word than it is to stretch you. Because stretching, stretching hurts. I found this out the hard way. Pastor Taylor and I one time went to a hot yoga class. Who thought of these things? Hot? It already hurts to do the downward dog. I can't even do all these animals you calling out. I've never heard of in my life. And on top of that, it's hot in here. I'm telling you, I found out that day. It hurts. It hurts to stretch out. It hurts to stretch. It's interesting. You know, I've been obsessed with stretching since we started this series and been talking about it. I've noticed that more often than not, do you know when people naturally stretch? They naturally stretch in the morning, when you wake up, and when you have been sitting in one position for a long time. You naturally stretch when you get up. Oh, ooh, that was a good nap. That's when you wake up. Or if you have been sedentary and you have been sitting in one spot for a long time. You know who does, people that do not stretch? Somebody that is asleep and somebody who's stuck. But anybody that's gotten up or realized I've been stuck in this chair for three hours, your natural response after being asleep or being stuck is to say, oh, wait, I got to stretch out a little bit. I got to, oh, I didn't realize I was asleep that I got to, I didn't realize I've been in this same dysfunctional relationship. I, oh, I got to, when you get up and when you've been stuck, you Stretch. The only people that don't stretch are the people who are asleep and people who are stuck. Which brings me to my text, the Pharisees. Stuck and asleep. Lulled to sleep by the confines of the law. Stuck to a monument of what God had done through the law, but he was now doing in the fulfillment of his son Jesus. They were stuck to the law to the point that when Jesus showed up in the flesh they're calling Jesus a devil because they were stuck and asleep these are the Pharisees would you just say Pharisee oh come on say it with your chest say Pharisee quick question are there any Pharisees in the house today come on be honest raise your hand if you're a Pharisee I love it because it trips me out it trips me out that nobody ever typecast themselves in the Bible as a Pharisee have you noticed this Oh, come on, be honest. You have never in your life read the word of God, and any time the Pharisees came in, God, you know what? That's me. That's me. No, whenever we read the word of God, what do we do? Because we're narcissistic. We either look at the word of God, and we're either the person that's hurting, or we're the hero, right? Right? Come on. Come on. You already look at the text. You're like, mm, David faced Goliath. You look at that text and go, I'm David. Yes. And this debt, whoo, that's Goliath. It's coming down this year. These student loans, you never... You never see yourself as a Pharisee. You're always the person that's hurting or the person that's the hero. Come on, when the woman with the issue above was pressing through the crowd, you don't see yourself as the person that was saying, move, don't touch. No, you're the woman that's hurting, pressing through. Talking about, if y'all would get up out the way, I could actually get to Jesus. But I think one of the most powerful questions you can ever ask yourself is, is the Pharisee me? And if anybody, the people that come to church often, don't associate with the people in the Bible that went to church all the time. The people that read the scriptures in the Bible, we don't ever associate with them. No, there's no way I can be. And that's the problem with being a Pharisee. You do know how you spell Pharisee. It's P-H-A-R. 
I see. Felt like I was a spelling bee in service. I see. I see. And that is the problem of a Pharisee. You might be a Pharisee if you can always see what's wrong with somebody else, but you can never see what's wrong with you. You can see everybody else's flaws, but you are oblivious to your own flaws, to your own issues. Oh, you can point out what's wrong with everybody else, what's wrong with every other system, but you can never take inventory of what's wrong with you. That is a blues clue that you are a Pharisee. It's also a sign that you haven't been in the authentic presence of God. Because how many of you know when you get in the real presence of God, you don't walk out the presence of God saying, woe is my neighbor, woe is my cousin, woe is, no, no, no. You say, oh, woe is me. I'm a person of unclean lips. When you get in the presence of God, you don't see anybody else's flaws. You see your flaws and you say, God, I need your grace. I need your mercy. I am a wretch. I am a mess. I won't make it without you. Somebody give God some praise if you know that you would not be here today if it had not been for the grace. Oh, see, some of y'all think you're still good. That's why you gave that cute clap. I dare you to praise him like, you know, if it had not been for the grace and the mercy of Jesus, you know where you would be. You've been in Gillies before, but it wasn't for no church service. Thanks be unto God. Don't act brand new. Don't act brand new. Don't act like everybody else got an issue and you don't. Oh, you know you're a Pharisee when you're real good with a microscope, horrible with a mirror. You can see down with finite detail what everybody else needs to fix. I'll tell you what you need to do. I know her problem. Yeah. You know I took a psychology class. I'll tell you what's wrong with her. <laughs> see what's wrong with everybody else, but can't see what's wrong with you. And so the reason they hated Jesus is because Jesus had this uncanny ability to help them see themselves. And they hated him. They hated him because he made them confront who they really were. They hated him because they were jealous of him. But the real reason they hated him, the real reason that he got on the cross, instigated by these Pharisees, was because he kept doing stuff on the Sabbath. That was their issue. Their issue was the Sabbath. You realize, they probably wouldn't have crucified Jesus if he would have just done his healings on another day. <laughs> but their real issue, and you will see it if you read your Bible, is that he kept doing stuff on Sabbath. That was their issue. Because come on, they had gotten a word from Moses, from God, that there were commandments that they were supposed to keep. And one of those ten was honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Those ten commandments were their restriction. It was their guidebook. But how many know whenever God gives you a law, he's giving you a law, first of all, the restriction is not to hurt you. It's to help you. Boundaries are a blessing in your life. He never gives a law to be a burden to you. It's actually to be a blessing to you. And it's also to bring you to yourself to realize, I can't do this without you. Love my neighbor as myself? Yeah, right. Pray for my enemies? Yeah, I cannot do this without you. I can't do this in myself. I need you. That's, but this one issue of the Sabbath was the one that they hung their hat on because in the Sabbath, it says we are to honor it and keep it holy. What is the Sabbath? It means to rest, to cease. That's for you. God said, I'm even going to rest after he created the world. And the rest is not for me. I'm good. I'm God. But I'm trying to show you how to live and that you cannot live your life with this incessant pace of going, 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 going. You need a day to pause, to reflect, to look at how you're living your life. You need a day to pause. So to Sabbath means to cease. He said, honor it and keep it holy. The problem was, he didn't give details of how. So the Pharisee said, oh, y'all need some details? I'll fill it in for you. And they made all of these laws, letting people know, here's how you really keep the Sabbath. I could be here all day telling you all the additional laws that they added, not to the Word of God. The Word of God just said, keep it holy and rest. They said, let me tell you how this is to be walked out in your life. They had the wrong approach and the wrong interpretation. 
and it brought the wrong application and their approach was I can earn holiness I can earn a relationship their approach is in my performance that gets me in with God and when you have that approach you're going to have the wrong interpretation and you're going to have the wrong application when you think it is your deeds that gets you access to God if that's your approach you'll have the wrong interpretation and the wrong application so now all of a sudden a day that God intended to be a day of rest now is a burden to the people of God because of what they've added to his word it sounds like today isn't it funny some people that don't want to come to church today not because God isn't good but because some people have added a burden to something that was intended to be a blessing you should have seen what they added they added crazy ladies and gentlemen they said I don't even got time to tell you all of them they said if you took more than 1,999 steps that was work so you walking on the Sabbath checking every step making sure hold on wait, wait, I lost my count don't mess me up Mabel let me get my count right five say you couldn't light a candle on the Sabbath you couldn't write a letter on the Sabbath you couldn't pull a gray hair on the Sabbath you couldn't carry anything that weighed more than a fig on the Sabbath you picking up stuff in your house saying did that feel like a fig to you and all of the burdens that they added something God never intended the Pharisees were serious about this Sabbath. I learned this the hard way. I learned how serious the Jewish people were about the Sabbath the hard way. I went to Israel. Went to Israel. Anybody ever been to Israel, been to the Holy Land? Can I see any of you been there? Oh, we're going to take a social trip one day. Just go to the Holy Land. I'll I, I never forget when I went. I, I learned this the hard way. I learned how serious the Sabbath was. I didn't know. I didn't know. Uh, we were there. It was my first time in Israel. I was so hyped to be there. I mean, I'm going crazy. I'm going crazy. You know people that ain't never been nowhere before. And I had never been there before. And I've been preaching the Bible a long time. I'm like, oh! Bethlehem for real. And this, this is really Capernaum. I mean, I'm going crazy on this trip. And I'm so excited. I missed the bathroom break. I missed the bathroom break. I drank a lot of water. I'll never forget, whoo, getting back to the hotel. Had to go. Had to go. I get off of that bus. I will never forget this. I go to the elevator in the hotel. And I was like on the ninth floor. I hit the button on the elevator for the ninth floor. This elevator stopped at the first floor, stopped at the second floor, stopped at the third floor. The fourth floor, the fifth floor. It's not at the sixth floor. I passed out. Stopped at the seventh floor, the eighth floor. It stopped on every floor before it got to the ninth. I get off of that elevator in exasperation, go into my room, come back down, get the same elevator back down. It stopped on every single floor. When I got down to the bottom, I had an attitude. Oh, I said, I got to talk to the manager. I got to talk to the manager. I paid a whole lot of money to walk where Jesus walked. And y'all can't fix the elevator and this hotel. It stopped at every floor. I'm on my way to talk to the manager. Somebody from our team said, where are you going? Oh, I'll tell you where I'm going. I'm going to talk to this manager, okay? Because this is ridiculous. This hotel costs too much to stop at every single floor. They said, Robert, it's the Sabbath. I said, I don't care what the day is. Somebody needs to fix that elevator because it stopped on every floor. They said, no, 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 Robert. That's the Shabbat elevator. I said, I don't care if it's the Shazam elevator. They need to get an engineer to fix it. I almost had an accident on that elevator. I'll never forget it. I said, Rob, you don't understand. It's the Sabbath. That elevator stopped on every floor because to push a button would be work. So that's why I stopped on every floor. That's how serious, that's how stringent that's how inflexible they got about the Sabbath. And in all that inflexibility, here comes Jesus. Say, so, oh, I can't heal people on the Sabbath? Okay. Walks up to a woman that's had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years and looked at her and said, I know it's the Sabbath, but daughter, you are freed from the spirit of that infirmity. And after 18 years of being bent over, after 18 years of having the same issue, after 18 years of going through a cycle, after 18 years of never getting the victory and never getting the breakthrough, after 18 years in one moment with one word from a Savior, an 18-year problem brought her freedom in one moment. And some of y'all are quiet because what you've been going through has been so long that you've actually lost hope that there is a Savior that can set you free no matter how many years it's been. But after 18 years, God said, it ain't over until I say it's over. Daughter, you are free from 
from your infirmity. 18 years, she stands up straight after 18 years, but he healed her on the Sabbath. John chapter 5, there's another dude. This dude, not 18, but 38 years has been lame, sitting by a pool of water with other lame people. And every so often, an angel would stir the water, and whoever got in first would get healed and restored. And for 38 years, homeboy never got in. Jesus walks up to him and asks the question that you don't ask the people that are sick. He says, do you want to get well? You don't ask sick people that. For, try it this afternoon. Go to a hospital and say, hey, y'all want to get well? What is Jesus doing? He asked him that question because he was piercing deeper piercing deeper into something. And I'll be honest with you, when I first read that text and I first preached that text, I jacked it up. I hope that sermon is not on YouTube because I could not relate to this dude. I'm like, homie, 38 years? 38 years and you couldn't get close to the water to get in? I mean, come on, 38 years, you could at least electric slide it close. Oh, I had no compassion for homeboy. 38 years? I said, you got all kinds of excuses. Here you go with the excuses. If you want to break through, you could get with 38 years? So when I preached it, I preached it like Jesus was frustrated with him. Because, you know, we don't get vocal intonation in the Bible. So I preached that Jesus walked to, up to him and said, oh, do you want to get well? <laughs> like Jesus was annoyed with the people that he was about to heal. But I preached it back then. I don't preach it like that now. Because I'm turning 38 this year. I got a little more compassion. I've lived a little bit. I'm telling you, I know what it's like now to have some issues. That you're like, God, I'm still working on this. God, please have some grace with me. I ain't where I was. I know I ain't where I'm supposed to be. Oh, I don't preach it now like Jesus said, do you want to get well? Like he was annoyed with him. I don't think it was the vocal intonation of being annoyed. I think it was the vocal intonation of expectation. Saying, I know you think it's over, and I know you've had excuses in the past, but guess what? I I am here. I am the fulfillment of the law. And you still have an opportunity. You still have a chance to get up from that lame level of living. Get up. I like them healers. Didn't even help them. Get up. Take your mat and walk. He got up, took his mat, he started walking, but he did it on the. So many examples. But all of a sudden, Pharisees picked up. Obviously, he doesn't not care about our rules. <laughs> so they took it upon themselves to say, we're going to watch. That's why they are. Fair, I, see. We're going to watch him. And he better not heal anybody on the Sabbath. <laughs> Can you see him? Oh, I didn't read the setup to Mark chapter 3. It's in Mark chapter 2. You got to see it to get the context. Jesus is in a field of grain with his disciples. Can you see him? Jesus. Jewish Jesus. Not the picture. Jewish Jesus. <laughs> Darker complexion. Maybe Afro. I don't know what it would look like. I'm, just, I just, I'm saying, I've been to Israel. There's no way you could be that pale with the blue eyes. I, just, I, hadn't, I didn't see no. I'm just saying. I went to Israel. The conditions I deduced, you can't be that pale with this sun. I'm not a theologian. I'm just saying what I deduced. <laughs> so you got, <laughs> you got him walking. <laughs> you got his 12-person entourage, right, through a grain field. And then you got the Pharisees who are following him, not because he's the Savior of the world, to see if he's going to heal on the Sabbath. Can you see them? Hiding, how childish, hiding like, shh, catch it. They're in a field of grain. Look at how stupid they look. In a field of grain, shh, get down. Ananias, please get down. In a field of grain, it's literally stalks of grain. They are stalking. Going through. Meanwhile, Jesus and disciples are having the time of their life. I'm being extra to show you the difference between religion and relationship. Just 
show all to show you how exhausting religion is how frustrating religion is trying to earn an approval that has already been given to you how frustrating and how tiring it is they hide it disciples are chilling grabbing heads of grain Jesus you be preaching Preacher, I know you said that you're the son of God, but you'll be preaching. Hey, that sermon on the Mount Jesus, that was 50 series in one. You'll be, be preaching, having a time with their life. And as soon as they grab that grain and ate, Pharisees pop up. Ah! I see. They're like, were you there the whole time? <laughs> sure were. Didn't hear us, did you? Say, uh, what are you doing? It's harvesting. Can't pluck grain on the Sabbath. And more than 1,999 steps. And I can see it in my mind's eye. The disciples got grain in their mouth like. And Jesus, I'm so glad I don't tell the worship team what to say. Our defender. Steps up and says, y'all don't worry about it. I got them. Peter, keep eating. (laughs) And goes up to him. Frustrated. Upset. But still with a heart of compassion for them too. Newsflash, he loves the Pharisees too. Says to him, have you not read brings up an Old Testament passage to Pharisees. <laughs> so y'all don't know when Jesus is throwing shade. Do you know what it's like to look at a Pharisee and say, have you not read? It's like going to LeBron James saying, do you not ball? <laughs> of course they read. That's all they do. They read. I promise you have the wrong approach. You have the wrong interpretation. Have the wrong application. And he brings up an instance when David and his men were so hungry and they went to the high priest Abiathar who had consecrated bread in the temple that was reserved only for the high priest. David was not. But when he was out there running for his life from Saul and his men were hungry, the high priest made a decision to allow David and his men to eat the bread that was consecrated for the high priest. Why? Because human need always transcends human tradition. That Jesus is more concerned about a heart of compassion than he is about a code of conduct. That Jesus is always moved every decision, every healing. He's not breaking the law on the Sabbath just to break the law. I'm breaking the law because my ultimate goal, my ultimate purpose, my ultimate passion and pursuit is people. And when it comes to people, you should be moved by compassion. And moved by love. And you Pharisees have elevated the tradition of men to the point that you are trampling on people. You've lost your compassion. You've lost the love. You've got the letter of the law. Oh, you know it. But you've missed the spirit of the law. Let me really break it down to where you can grab it. In other words, Jesus is saying, it is possible for you to be technically right but morally wrong. You can be right and wrong at the same time. Come on, have you seen it? I've seen it. Social media, I've seen people say stuff on social media to other people. (laughs) Scripture. Oh, and it's right, technically. Oh, but is it wrong? Because if you get the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law, you missed the point. Oh, I got so much. It's what Paul says. Look at what Paul says. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he has made us, us, you and I, 
competent as ministers of a new covenant, not old, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Next time you're so quick to drop the letter, make sure it's coming from the right sphere. Well, I, I just tell the truth. I just tell it like it is. No, you're a jerk. Tell the truth in love. You don't just drop beans on people. That's what the truth is to me. It's beans, fiber, truth. Don't just drop beans. Can you imagine if I just threw beans on you today? Better wrap that thing in a burrito. Then it's a blessing to your life, ain't it? Don't you love how I give you these metaphors so you can stay with it? Wrap them beans in love. Before you tell the truth to anybody, do I love them? That's the burrito. Pharisees lost it. So Jesus doesn't even let them finish that thought and goes from the field into the synagogue. Worship team, join me. In the synagogue, there's a man that all of us can relate to. I love it because Jesus walks in the synagogue and the Pharisees walk in the synagogue. But perhaps in the back of the synagogue is a man with a shriveled hand. If you're honest, all of us in here can relate to that man. All of us in here can relate to being in the church, to being in the presence of Jesus, but being fully aware of your handicap. I don't care who you are, how much money you got, what accolades you've acquired. One of my favorite things about getting close to a person that is successful is not just to be close to them because they're successful. But if you talk to any successful person long enough, you will hear their withered hand. If you stay long enough, I don't care what they've acquired or what they've done. They'll tell you about all the property they have. They'll tell you about how many millions they got in the bank. But if you get close enough, you'll hear they haven't talked to their kids in years. They're on marriage number eight. I don't care who you are. Every single human has a withered hand. The thing that you've learned to live with. Come on, a withered hand is not like a blind eye. It's not like a lame leg. You can drive with a withered hand. You can have some mobility. But it's the thing you've learned to live with. What's your withered hand? What's the thing that you've concluded, God, I've, I've had this for so long, this is just who I am. You know what breaks my heart in this text besides the silence of the Pharisees? Who when Jesus asked, is it lawful to do good or evil? It's not just the silence of the Pharisees that breaks my heart. It's the silence of the man with the withered hand. Because he came into the synagogue. Ooh, I threw your presence. And Jesus was there. And he never opens up his mouth to say, Jesus, please, can you heal this? Oh, Jesus, I just came to the synagogue today just like you. You came to church today just to come to church. But Jesus, I didn't know your manifest presence was going to be here. Jesus, I heard that you heal. I heard, I heard about the lady that for 18 years had an issue and you, you brought restoration. I, I, I heard about blind Bartimaeus who was healed by you speaking a word. Jesus, he never says that. He was content to sit in the synagogue in the presence of Jesus and live with it. Just like some of you. And now it's cool. It's cool. This is the way it is. But the Savior would not allow it. As the Pharisees are staring at him, 
daring him with their eyes to heal anybody because it was the Sabbath. Jesus looks right at them and then looks at that man who probably didn't even notice that Jesus noticed him and tells him, stand up in front of everyone. Can you imagine? There's nothing scarier than coming into an atmosphere trying to hide and somebody calls you out. Me? Stand up, you, in front of everyone. No more hiding now because he cannot heal what you will not uncover. He can. Those of you that want to keep the withered hand under wraps and you've learned to live with it, I'm telling you, healing cannot come until it is uncovered. It has to be uncovered. It has to be exposed. It has to come out of the darkness and into the light. And God never exposes you for exposure's sake. He is not a God of TMZ. No, he exposes so that healing can come. He exposes because he loves you. The exposure is not to hurt, it's to help. How is it that a doctor is the only person that can tell you when you walk in with pain? Take off your shirt, sir. Take off. Take off that article. I got to do an x-ray. If you want healing, I got to do the x-ray. And isn't it funny? You never protest. If you're hurting bad enough, you never, you don't even ask for his credentials. You have never in your life walked into a doctor's office and said, well, uh, I know you got your doctor degree, but top of the class or bottom of the class? You have full faith and confidence? Why? Because he has a white coat on? What if some joker just walked in there off the street and was posing? But if you're hurting and you want healing, take whatever x-ray you got to take. I, I can't. I can't sleep. I can't sleep at night. I can't breathe. Yes, take the shot. Tell you, oh, it hurt, but no. Sometimes healing hurts. Stand up in front of everyone. He stands up. But then he leaves him there and looks at the Pharisees. What are you doing, Jesus? Focus on the man. No, no, no. Every miracle is a parable. When you're a God, think, and you've got all kinds of power to heal. Why heal in various ways? Why not speak the word? Why not do it Wi-Fi like you did with one centurion servant? Why? Because every miracle is telling you a story of who Jesus is and how he healed. So he takes it from the man who's standing there afraid, uncovered, exposed, but then turns to the Pharisees because they have an opportunity too. We are not just dealing with a withered, shriveled hand. We're also dealing with Pharisees who have withered, shriveled hearts that the law has made so cold and so inflexible. He was trying to do two miracles that day, but he couldn't because they couldn't do what the man's hand was about to do. They couldn't stretch their hearts to believe that this Savior that they had rejected was actually the one they had been waiting for. They couldn't stretch their hearts. Their silence and their stubbornness allowed them to not get the healing that their hearts could have gotten that day. He was trying to do two miracles, but since they refused, just like some of you refuse, and you won't get connected to church, and you say, no, the last church hurt me, and because they refused, he now looks at the man, and he says, I'm going to ask you to do something that is crazy. It is out of this box. I'm going to ask you to stretch the thing that you've never been able to stretch. His healing was in the stretching. Come on, you know what it's like to stretch something that you've never stretched before and I can see the man stretching and all while he's stretching is hurting but even though it's hurting he's noticing that bones are forming and ligaments are coming in and so he presses through the pain and he still stretches and is hurting but is healing because when God gives you a word if you will be obedient and stretch out to the word 
like a person going through clinical rehab that sprained an ankle that they've never moved before. This man is healed, but the healing didn't come without the hurting. Sometimes, more often than not, healing hurts. But do you want to live with the pain to remain the same? Pharisees. Their hearts never got stretched. They could have got their healing too. I said this first service, I'm going to say it again and I'll be out of your way. Talking to those of you who have a stubborn heart and even as I'm preaching this, that voice is in your head rejecting it because you know God's dealing with some areas that need to be stretched. Can I ask you a question? Do you know what it feels like to be wrong? Do you know what it feels like to be wrong? What, what do you feel whenever you're wrong? What do you feel? Shame? What else? Embarrassed? That's the feelings you're describing whenever you're wrong. Actually, you're describing feelings of what happens when you find out you're wrong. When you find out you're wrong, then you feel embarrassed. Oh, my bad. Then you feel ashamed. That's the feeling of finding out you're wrong. But up until a new truth has had an encounter with a truth that was a lie you've been holding on to, you can be wrong, but wrong feels right until a greater truth is introduced. walked away with a shriveled heart. Jesus is for hearts today. This was not just about the man's hand. This was about the Pharisee's heart. This is not just the healing of a hand. This is the tragic story of unhealed hearts that remained shriveled because they couldn't press past the pain to get the healing. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.